Hey, good to see you. Hey guys, how's it going? Can you guys hear me? Audio working or no? Yeah, yeah we can hear you. All right, perfect. Morning, everybody. Sorry I was a little late. Oh, no problem. How are you doing? Doing great yourselves. Uh, doing well. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Yeah, thanks for joining us. No problem. It's really fun. Yeah, it should be pretty exciting. So uh, how long have you been playing chess? Oh, I've uh, been playing for about 18, probably 18 years, probably when I was still in high school, you know? So I played at, uh, in the chess club in, within high school. And then on and off after that for a little bit, um, ended up bumping into a, uh, a community around like where I used to live in Illinois. And they played tournaments and played some speed chess. So that was like a whole different like atmosphere compared to like my, cause the school I went to was really tiny. So then I started being involved with those people and playing blitz chess and speed chess. And it just kind of really caught my attention a lot more. What's the difference between blitz and speed chess? Oh, uh, well, so I, I mean the same thing. So instead of like long games, it was like a lot quicker games. So, um, so when you, I would say like when you would hang out with friends, it was a lot more fun to play those games, but then it would also help prepare you for, uh, for tournaments because it helps you uh, make decisions very quickly, which is something that you uh, need to do within chess, like clock management and time management. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot of strategy involved. Uh, there's, there's a crazy amount of um, just planning <clears throat> and strategy. I mean, I was talking with people, at just a lot of people at the gym, like recently just about chess because the Queen's big game, kind of came up and a lot of people even there know that I uh, play chess. So just talking to them about um, the mental exercises that you had to do, it's like preparing for like a turn, like a, a meet is very similar to that. You know, um, you continue your opening strategy, your opening study, you understand that. And then like the day of like a tournament, you would do, um, tactics for probably, you know, warm your, warm your brain up, just like you're warming your body up before you would do a deadlift or a bench press and then play a couple scrimmage matches before any tournament would happen. So that way you're well prepared, um, going into that day. Okay. Yeah. And similar, I don't know if you guys have done uh, actual like meets, but, um, tournaments can range anywhere from like, you know, like one match can be anywhere from like an hour and a half to like five hours. Oh, wow. Then you just have to be mentally like ready to have multiple like four or five hour long games or like four or five, like two hour long games. Oh, yeah. So it's like an all day affair. So it's your, yeah. your brain is continually being engaged, you know, with small breaks in between. Yeah. So. Yeah. We've done uh, martial arts tournaments where you, your group will go up and you'll compete. You'll do whatever you're doing, your forms or your sparring or your breaking or whatever. And then you'll have to sit back for a long period of time before you can get to go again. And that whole anxiety during the wait period is, is pretty tough to deal with. So, yeah. And oh, absolutely. It's a lot of fun. So I think, I think I got a lot more of it playing uh, different styles of poker and uh, okay. just different structures and tournaments, whether it's a freeze out or if it's, you know, multiple buy-ins again. And it's a whole different atmosphere if you're playing three hours or if you're in it for, you know, 180 people tournament where you're going to be playing 12 hours possibly that day. Right. It's just, it's a complete mental grind because you got to be thinking almost 
not every single hand because I used to do poker myself, but it's pretty close. You know what I mean? It's yeah. It's just though it's something you really enjoy, it's equally like it's surprisingly draining on people compared to you know like go to the gym, lift weights. Like oh okay, you're 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 expending energy. It makes sense. But then people think like oh sitting at a on a chair over a chessboard, how is that draining? It's like all right, try to like mentally beat the person on your other side you know, who's equal level that you are, you know. Exactly. So. Even when people think, oh, you're not in every hand in poker, but if you're not watching other hands that you're out of, you're never going to get a read on your opponents and how they play based right. on, you know, seeing them play against other players at the table when you're not even present in a hand. It's going to help you beneficially uh, exponentially when you can be like, well, this guy's played his last six hands this way against other opponents. I probably right. know what he has. Right. And so that, I mean, so obviously chess has a whole different, like unlimited amount of openings, but most people when they're young or when they start learning, they open up, they learn a style that they like to play in chess. You know, they re realize, oh, I actually am really good at attacking. I have no idea how to attack or I like positions X, Y, and Z. So the nice thing is once you are within, I would say somewhat of a small community, like even even Illinois, which I play most of my chess there, um, like there's a lot of people, but then there's people within your own bracket that you would kind of play more often than not. So then you just know their openings that they would prefer to play. So it's kind of actually easy to prepare against a person. So maybe the same in, in martial arts as you would like, okay, I know that this person might try to grapple this way or this or that. Um, similarly, like, okay, this person plays a French defense every single time I, I move my e my pawn to e4 is white. So how am I going to either not go into that opening or where do I beat them in their own preparation? So Exactly. We think a lot about geometric positioning. If uh, someone favors, say, their front leg or they favor a certain type of kick, how you grab it and counter that attack and, and get in and be able to make the strike. So right. very similar tactics, I'd imagine. Oh, it's it's extremely similar. So you just have to play to, like, like you are saying, just play to your um, – your strengths, which is um, is which is like just vastly, vastly, vastly different, you know. Which is something I learned with because um, recently I have a a trainer helping me do just for deadlift, powerlifting, or deadlift, squats, and bench. Because plan on doing like a meet in June. It'll be like the first time I'm ever doing like a professional meet for or not a professional, but going to one official powerlifting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and it just, it's, I didn't know how different people's squats were from one different, one person to another. I just thought there was like, basically, you know, high bar, then have like the power stance and it's either your A or B. Yeah, I know. And it, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I'm so, I was like, holy cow, like everyone says like one off from each other. And it's like, oh, this is, so like, and I had such a hard time with my own squat for the longest time because I was trying to feel I'm like, all right, I'm either doing this or I'm doing this. And like, my body wasn't built for either one of those. So I was like, oh, this is, I can never squat. You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to reach the depth. So like with his help and my own version of like how I squat and it's very simple. So now it's like become a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When they can teach you to work with your own body, that's a whole lot better. Sure. Yeah. It helps so much. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your grip experience. Uh, you're you used to be a steel worker? Yeah. You said, well, I used to be a sheet metal worker. Yeah. Um, so my dad, he, he owned his sheet metal company. So I started off when I was 14, 15, you know, working for him, it was a non-union company. So, I mean, starting off early, learning the trade 
And that was like my grip and my forearm were always one thing that was like above and beyond for any other like lift that I would do. Like, let's just say like I could bench 160. I could probably forearm curl almost as much as I could bench, you know, just cause I'm cutting sheet metal, cutting gauge sheet metal every single day. My grip got solid and my forearms just became like Im immensely powerful. And I think it's just, anyone likes, mo I think most people like to focus a lot on like what comes easy and what comes like, what's already easy for them. So like when I would go to the gym and there's people like three times my size and they're forearm curling the exact same I weight I am, I'm like, oh, that's actually, that's pretty nice. You know what I mean? At least I can compete with people on this level. You know what I mean? So that's always, that's always what's kind of fun. Cause like, you know, I'm like, I look a lot tinier. I'm like, all right, well, I might not have thick forearms, but I literally just cut sheet metal every single day of the week. So I just do grip work every single day of my life. So, yeah. So have you started dabbling in grip sport now? I have, I just uh, sent you guys, or sent you guys a picture of just some um, stuff I got off of, I got a grip wrench or a wrist wrench. A loading pin and I'm going to try out both that the golden potato today so that will be fun um I've been doing a lot of um even arm wrestling like cupping practice work with um a three inch handle around like a swivel bar so I'll set up uh, a bench put in like one of the they have like a jump pad and then I'll just work on just like the whole cupping just for the forearm right there I've been doing that like every almost every other day like the last five, six days. Um, it's something that it's also sparking my interest. Like I might, I might be making a board with uh, my own mechanical shop and um, at the company I work with. So I was going to make one for just me. And then they're like, well, we, maybe we want to make one and we'll do like a shop versus like fitters for a sheet metal arm wrestling competition. I'm like, cool. all right, there we go. That'll be fun. You know, so. Yeah, find some monsters in that. Yeah. So I'm like trying to like research as much like, YouTube strategy as I can to get any kind of like advantage. Cause I mean, these guys are all like trade workers are most of the time naturally much larger people by nature, just cause you're yeah. moving around crap every single day, all day long. Um, so trying to, trying to work on the strategy and just see all the actual technique. Cause it's, it's so much different. Like once you really like look into it, you know, so like once you look into the sport and what, like at least a lot of things that I thought would be common, like what I thought you would do, like, you know, when you grip somebody's arm, you're just going to just like lead into it and try to pin them down. It's like, that's the opposite of what you want to do. You want to stay as close to the table as possible because once you get to here and you're leaning back, you have no more leverage. And I was like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't even, that never would have came in my brain, like ever, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're really surprised at how much physics is involved with several aspects of uh, grip as well. Uh, bending specifically, it's, it's basically just a physics problem. Yeah. Is, and like I've been looking at you guys doing like the uh, steel and nail bending, and I'm like, all right, a what do you guys buy to grips? So that way your hands don't get ripped up. And then, how does someone think I'm gonna buy this piece of steel and I'm just gonna bend it? <laughs> and does it create strength or is it a cool party trick? You know what I mean? Like where where where, where is that one at? Because it's something I was like I've been interested in because you guys do it, um, Mike. Will Fong does it and I, like, he's a coworker of mine. So I'm like, all right, maybe this is something I might dabble in in the future, but I'm like, what is it? Yeah, I don't think I would use it for building strength. Okay. But I definitely think it, it can showcase your wrist strength, which is okay. really cool. You have to have good wrist strength to do it. But um, 
it's definitely a little bit of a trick. And if you listen to like the steel bending podcast, they'll talk about how it's kind of a little bit of a trick. Okay. But it also definitely, it, it, by trick, I mean, you can do it with technique. If someone right. can show you the right technique to do it, you can do it without having trained and having a whole lot of strength. Right. So, um, that's why you see some small guys that can monster some big steel and some big guys that struggle with it. They just don't have the technique and they're not okay. able to get in the right position. So it's, and it may not transfer that big into real world um, application, um, right. but the braced bending, like the longer bars that they bend around their body and whatnot, yep. that stuff, I think that transfers into world, real world strength quite a bit, especially right. if you're a grappler or you're dealing with handling people or whatever. Um, right. That definitely seems like it would for sure. Okay. Okay, so um, I think we should get into our blitz of questions here. Okay, so, hit me. All righty. All right. So who inspired you in chess? Who inspired me in chess? Um, I would have to say, this early on, my dad. My dad was a big inspiration for a lot of things, just the trade I'm in and also like chess. So my dad was also split thing about him, like opposite physique as I am. Like I'm like 5'9", he's like six. He was 6'3". He played for the uh, Oakland Raiders football team. Um, part of the reason why I like the forearm grip, I mean, his forearms were like tree trunks. So I was like, oh, man. If I work out hard enough, they might grow. They haven't grown yet, but you know, sooner or later they might start to grow a little bit. Yeah. You know, so yeah. So that was also a big part because, like, he was also like really quick. The other side story. Um, he uh, so he had never like worked out once he got out of like playing like you know football and then started his sheet metal business. But like he just did construction all his life. And um, I remember my sister was dating somebody and this guy was like a high school kid, but it was always working out, thought he was like strong. And she's like, oh, you should arm wrestle my dad. He's like, oh, I don't really want to like, you know, humiliate your dad. My dad's like, okay, kid, come here, you know? <laughs> and it was, well, it was like, he had like, you know, like his arms looked like the nice, like strong arms, but like there's a big difference between having real strength and having like good looking flashy arms. And it was like a split second. My dad just like slammed his hand down on the table for saying like, I don't want to embarrass your dad in front of everybody. The guy's like, oh, I'm a lefty. My dad's like, all right, here you go. Just crushed him again. There was never again a challenge ever again after that point. It was, it was pretty funny. I was like, yeah, man, I like that. Like he didn't even have to say anything. It was just, all right, let me just show you. Let me just show you, kid. Yeah. So. Especially in high school. I mean, you build muscle so much quicker and it looks better because yeah. age. I mean, you can look big and look like you're, you know, Johnny Bravo or something and right. you know, it's you not know, real strength yet. Yeah, there's like there's a reason why it's called old man strength. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's just different. So thirty years of training that connective tissue. Yeah. Yep. So uh, what are your favorite places to play chess? Uh lately we've been doing a lot of um pubs here in portland i actually enjoy playing in the pub a lot it's it's just fun i mean everyone trash talks we have probably um i mean the culture difference out here playing with people i mean we have about five or six guys who are really good who are homeless and then you just have everybody else who's like a mix of everything so it's just a fun variety and it just creates like a just fun atmosphere you know what i mean so i've never really played in a pub before and i was like oh Beer and chess go great together. Why have I not thought about this before? So, yeah. Killing brain cells and then trying to use the remaining ones to beat somebody. Exactly. So, there you go. Yeah. Like chess boxing. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I've always thought that, like, that was interesting, though. Was, um, there's a, uh, like, on one of the feeds of Instagram, the guy was uh, arm wrestling somebody. 
and just holding somebody and then playing chess. And I was like, all right, that's, that's pretty impressive right there. Cool. <laughs> like, the, the other guy was like struggling. He was just this huge dude. And he's like playing chess against somebody while arm wrestling the other guy. That's awesome. And I'm sure yeah. when you're talking about, you know, there's five or six good homeless guys and a mix of everybody. I'm sure there's just great stories around chessboard too, especially in, you know, area like Portland where there's just such a big population of different kind of people. It, no, it, it is. And like, I think that's the cool thing about chess. Um, so I've been to a couple different, I've lived in a couple different countries itself and like the Philippines and then in other areas. And I didn't, obviously I don't speak Filipino and other places. And I was always able to play chess with people not knowing a language. And it's just a common, it's just a common thing that can bring people that cannot talk to each other, have the same passion, and then just can enjoy the game, enjoy it and experience with that person. So it, that, that aspect is something that I love about chess is that it is universal. Um, like I can go anywhere. Like when I was 30, I went to Greece and I looked up chess clubs in Greece. I went there, can't speak Greek, played chess for about six hours with people. It was amazing. It was just fun. It was just a good time. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, how do you like to relax when you're not playing chess? Uh, I'm a huge fan of cigars. Um, I'm a cigar aficionado and um, enjoy, I relax that way. And also um, just gym, just working out. Uh, we, me and my wife, we go hiking through the gorge pretty much a couple of times a month. So trying to, new, trying to find new trails and stuff like that, staying active. So. What are some of your favorite trails? Um, I like Mitchell Point. I know it's short, but it it does offer a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, view of the gorge once you get to the top. And I also like um, Tom, Dick, and Harry once you get close to Mount Hood. It's a it's a fun little mountain over there. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, do you have hobbies outside of chess? Obviously, you're talking about a couple, but uh, go ahead and describe them and any ones you haven't touched on. Um, so just hobbies outside of chess, I would say cigars working, uh, working out is also another one. And then, um, what else would be some of my hobbies? I built an X board in my backyard because I thought that was fun. I did that at a, at a pub here and I was like, you know what? I'm instead of paying a half an hour for me and my wife to throw an extra or $30 to throw an extra half an hour on, but I just built one. So I built one in our backyard we have like a, a net that that it keeps around it and stuff like that. So it's pretty, it's pretty fun. So that's like a, a mini hobby that we do as well. So that's awesome. I actually got my son into a hatchet throwing. Oh, nice. <laughs> we're out at uh, my brother-in-law's house and we're throwing hatchets. Into that's something. awesome. Yeah. So it is really fun though. You know what I mean? So, and then if you put uh spray paint, like little dots around there and have those be like extra points and like yeah. the area around it, be, like negative points, it makes it a lot more of a challenge. So yeah. yeah. Definitely. So how do you physically prepare uh, prepare for a challenging match or a tournament? Um, physically, I mean, back then I was trying to run a little bit more just to get natural endurance, just to get used to um, sustaining it at a, like a level for a while, like I would try to jog or whatever for a couple hours, you know, like nothing like fast because I'm not a runner, but at least just something to keep my body used to that activity for 30, 40, 90 minutes, you know? So if you're in a 90 minute match, that means I have 90 minutes and you have 90 minutes. So it's a long time to play a single game. So you just have to just be mentally just prepared for it. And then I would say like, even 
on my own chess, like chess life, like the week before, like a big tournament, do a lot of online tournaments because there's a lot of good chess sites out there that you can play online for. So just play a lot of tournaments, get the grind in, get used to it, get prepared, get yourself mentally prepared. So, yeah. That's a different question I actually wanted to bring up. A lot of people that play online, so they have trouble switching from online to playing in person. They see the board differently. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you overcome that? Um, it is true, and I actually do it the other way. Like, I can see stuff on the board easier than I can. Um, I think it's just almost just a perception of how you see it. You see it so, like, like 2D, where you're just marching so you can see your end. So you're almost looking at the grid instead of it looking this way. So you can just see your, like, the knight jumps, moves maybe potentially easier. Um, I... I don't know how others overcome that. I know it's hard for me to transfer into, it was actually hard for me to transfer into online play because I played mostly live and then I switched to online. So it's actually very hard for me to, to focus on the whole screen as one. And um, you bring up a good point. Like there's actually like, you'll see if you would watch like high, even high chess tournament games between high, high grandmasters, a lot of times it'll be like, you know, like a projector of like the screen up there and you'll actually see some of the guys studying their position, looking up, looking at their position on the board instead of on the screen because it's easier just to look at it on a flat, just for geometrically, so, okay. yeah. Awesome, yeah, because I know during the quarantine, a lot of people that are jumping into chess because of like Queen's Gambit, like you said, they're having to do it online. Yeah. So some of them then go and play a live game and they're saying, oh, it's a lot different. Oh, it's, it's, it's completely different. Um, you also like it because, I mean, you make a move with a mouse, and it's a fraction of a second, right? You just grab the piece, move it. But, you know, just even moving just the pieces in general and all that, it just takes, like, your time is also shrinking because of that itself, too. So, because you can't, because in online games, you can pre-move moves. So you can almost burn no time at all. You can't pre-move a move in chess, you know, you can't. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's a couple of the small things. So, and uh, this just popped in my head, but uh, similar to poker versus online and live play, do you notice any players that have any tells by their hand placement or anything they're looking at? Or um, yeah, if you, I, I definitely, yeah, you do. You can stare at a player while that while it's their turn, and you know, like, like. A lot of times people aren't good at hiding where they're focusing their mental energy because it's hard not to to do that. Like if you're thinking like, all right, I'm going to look at my bishop. I'm looking to see where I'm attacking and staring over here. It's like, okay, well, let me see what moves you're probably processing in your head. It's like it's very easy. It's not all the time, but a lot of times it is very like the more complicated position gets, the more you're focused on one specific area because it's hard for your brain to start because you need your brain to focus on that to then see all the possible moves. So naturally staring at it at that position helps just make it easier to see the moves in your own head and to process everything out. So, yeah. Awesome. So there are, there are, there are definitely, um, there are definitely tells that you can do. And then similarly, like if you make a blunder, it's like try to act as calm as you can over a board. It's like, oh, I did give him a free night. Let's see if he thinks that's a trap, you know. So yeah. yeah, yeah, those things happen. So that's a new strategy too, even. So that's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you talked about uh, a week out before matches, uh, mentally preparing. But do you do anything, you know, 
uh, months and months out to mentally prepare for an upcoming tournament or just no, normal play or just normal play and study. You know what I mean? So it's definitely looking into uh, doing a lot of tactics, grinding out the tactics and studying end games. Because if I would recommend stuff to, to new people, it isn't studying openings. Like that is as for when you, like, I would say learn a basic opening that you're not going to die within the first 11 moves. Because most beginners, like, they'll just leave free pieces sitting all over the board. As, like, it's really interesting to watch. But learn how to, like, it sounds crazy, but learn how to checkmate a king. Like, learn the end game very well because every game will get there. Every game will get to the end game. So if you're very efficient at how to finish off a game, you're going you're, you're gonna to be better than the majority of the people out there. Like you can have an average middle game and then beat people at the end game every single time. Because most people think that it's dry and boring to study. Which might, that might be, but that's how you win. Like that's, that's where you win is the end game. So, yeah. Do you prepare for specific opponents? If so, how and why or why not? I do when I have like a group that I play with on a regular basis. So if I'm going to go to a, a massive tournament, I have no idea who I'm going to play. So I'm just preparing my own game. But if I'm going to go and meet at the pub and play like two or three of the regular guys that are around my strength, I know what openings that they play like 80% of the time. So I will prepare for them because I want to beat them in trash talk. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Because if I can get you to get out of your position, then I'm like, all right, I've already kind of won a little bit because you don't want to go into like the study that I prepared you against the game. Like, so now you don't feel comfortable in your position. So it's going to be like, all right, that'll be fun. You know, it right. kind of creates a more, because once you get out, someone opens up at a different opening that they normally don't do. And let's just say it's a it's completely new position for both per, for like both of you guys. Then it's just natural talent at that point in time. Then it's like, all right, let's see which one of us is better when when we're both in a foreign position where we normally don't play, and let's just see who wins. So that's always fun too. Yeah, seems like that'd be the way to go. That'd be fun. How often do you study the game, and what parts of the game do you study most? Start, middle, end. You're obviously talking about how important the end game is, and how is your study time divided? Um, I probably study still three to four times a week, um, about an hour an hour each day like that I study and I have right now I have a couple different books two of them are on the end game one of them is um one of them is positional middle game and how to like see an advantage for a color and then exploit and then utilize that advantage um because the in any sport like in any sport or game or whatever like the more advanced you get, like obviously the more even the comp like the competition is, you're not gonna have these landslide of games fairly ever. Um, probably like you're not gonna have any landslide games in, in, in martial arts once you get past first, second, third round. And you have to recognize, all right, am I in a better position than my opponent? If I am, what do I do with that? Because a lot of people have like, all right, I, I know I'm like, they'll run their game through a computer. It's like, oh, the computer was saying it's like plus three, but I somehow lost this game. It's like, well, yeah, you gotta learn how to exploit, take advantage and win your like your middle game. So that's one area that I'm trying to do quite a bit of study in. And then one is just general openings because I still need to keep fresh on those. I mean, I spend very minimal time on openings just because I know mine. So I'm gonna stick with what I like. 
The only difference is, is I'm starting to like, as I get older, um, changing my strategy a little bit, becoming more of an aggressive player, just because even though I had very good success with being a positional grinding out wins player, I no longer like enjoy that personally. I like the flashiness. So even if I'm going to lose more games, I'm studying openings that are going to allow me to do that. And what I've realized also is um, a lot of people aren't good at defending. It scares a lot of people. So if you're going to be very aggressive in chess, um, you'll, that'll also help because people don't know how to be like, oh, wait, he has like three pieces already attacking me. Like, what do I do? And they start to pan they get in like a panic mode and they think the position is worse off than it is. So, yeah. Because when you're getting a last quick side story, when you're getting attacked in chess, it's very easy to let that psychological warfare kind of like actually impact you. It's like you see all these, you can start to see imaginary threats and be like, oh, they're already winning. Like I'm already like destroyed when yeah. it's not actually the case at all. So I've actually had a couple of those incidents on myself where I feared what wasn't even happening. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that happens in martial arts all the time. Somebody has a really good guard and you can't get in on them and you're thinking, well, I've lost this. They, they're too tight. I just, there's nothing I can do. Right. You know, kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I see in martial arts and chess you're talking, I mean, even poker, a lot of people that start playing the bully when they're chip lead and then these small stacks start thinking, oh, I'm in trouble. And really they're only like one or two double ups away from actually being able to push them back around and right. gain position. You see it all the time. They just start yeah. holding good hands and they start letting the person bully them even more, even though they, right. they're not very, that they might not be that strong as they perceive them to be. Yep. Yeah, that chip stack can really mess with you. It, it really, it, like, it just, like, you just looked over there, it's like, well, oh, shoot, man, man that's, that's, that's intimidating, you know, and you just exactly. see all these pieces on your side of the board and none of your pieces that are on their side of the board. It's like, what am I doing wrong here? What, what's, what's, this is not good. This is not good. So, yeah. Uh, let's take a quick intermission. We're at 10.39. Yeah, so um, we will take a okay. five-minute intermission real quick. So send you a link to the meeting starting at 10.45, and we'll wrap this up then. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Okay, guys. Yeah. We'll see you in five minutes. All right. Awesome. Hey, welcome back. How's it going? Good. Good. So, uh, do you have a daily mental exercise routine? Can you describe it? Um, mental exercise routine. For chess, I mean, I play uh, like uh, there's on one of the apps, there's uh, puzzle challenge. It gives you like three minutes and you have to see how many uh, puzzles you can solve within those three minutes. And then it just keeps track of how many you were able to do. Shows you, you know, how many were done that day by the best people in the, on the app and stuff like that. So I just try to like, Break the top 100 every, like, if I can, like, the, every day. So I've done it, I don't know, like, this last week I did it three times. So I felt pretty cool about that. I was like, all right. I try to do it later on in the evening so that way many people have already done it. So it's not like yeah. first thing in the morning is like, oh, cool, you know. I'm number five. I'm also the fifth person who did it today. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. So um, that's one thing I try to do. Um, I still do just – read a lot and even within that I try to do like speed reading so just to keep my my uh, my brain sharp so yeah okay yeah how much calculation do you do on a move um that is that is very variable so like early on like first 10 moves I would say there's probably you know fractions of seconds maybe like Someone does something different. I might spend a little bit longer, but in the beginning, I would say like a few seconds to move. Go into the middle game, and 
now there's a lot of calculation that needs to happen on every single move. Um, so I'd say if we're talking about a 90 minute game, in my, what I normally do is I block everything in groups of 10. So like the first 10 moves, I try to spend 10 seconds on those and then 30 seconds. And then once I get into like the 30s and 40s, then I'm spending like three, four or five minutes on each individual move. Because once you get closer to the end, every single move is creates so much more weight and value to the game. So at the very beginning, a small mistake, small like not good move, it's not going to make an effect on the game. At the very near closer to the end, a, a poor move is going to cost you a game. Okay. So yeah. But the longest I thought about a single individual move is like forty-five minutes. And it's a lot of time. So the, it required like a lot of like, we were bulking, we started to sacrifice pieces. So after I like did like, after I spent 25 minutes, I was like, well, I can't not do this move now. So I had to like fully devote all my mental energy. And then he kind of, after I did like my rook sacrifice, before he took it, he kind of just sat in the same like think tank for like another like 30 minutes, like looking like, oh crap, what's about to happen? And then the next 10, 15 moves were just blitzed out because we were just, we already had like kind of thought about them pretty much, so. What about post analysis? How long have you thought of a move after a game? Um, I like- About moves in previous games? I like to uh, do post analysis after every match. You know, I'll go through it, I'll do my own before I put it in a computer. Like, all right, like, I don't know why I did this move. I would, like, I rather would have played like, so I would, on any tournament game that I like note card all my game or take notes on every single move. Um, sometimes within the match, I might say like moves that I was thinking between. So that way later on in the, in like the day or the next day I can review it. Be like, all right, these were my other alternates where would these have been like valuable, like candidate moves. Um, so then when I review them, I like to try to see like tough positions. All right, that's what I calculated. What would I calculate now? Would my candidate moves be, um, more or less the same, or will they be different? You know what I mean? And then evaluate, all right, why did I like, why did I make that move in the position? Because I know there are times when I make, I talk myself out of the right move just because I'm playing a better person. It's like, well, I feel like that's the right move. But I feel like it's the right move if I'm on par with that person. You know what I mean? Like it's it's weird in chess. It's like, because certain times it's like, all right, I would like the idea of attacking his side over here and I could get the lead in development but he's kind of attacking me here, so maybe I shouldn't. And then going back in the computer, it's like, nope, what my original plan was is what I was supposed to do. I just got afraid to do it, ended up not doing my plan. So it's yeah. kind of weird how like mental fear can really impact like moves so quick, like so dramatically, so yeah. What are the key bad behaviors do you think keep chess players stuck at their level? Um. Oh, huh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Because it's really hard to get advanced to the next level. Um, laziness and playing quick games, like though quick games are fun, it's kind of like steel bending. It's not going to like, it's fun. It's really like, you're going to just stay at whatever rating you are. If you're playing three minute games, they're fun to play. You can play a crap ton of games, but you're going to just stay in your rating. You're never going to improve because you're actually never fully thinking about what your move should be. I think that people don't do post analysis, which is something that's very helpful. A lot of people don't like to think about their losses. So it's like, oh, I'd rather not, not 
analyze my games. You know what I mean? I'd rather just go into the next tournament. Um, and I think as, as, as weird as it sounds, like people love playing the game of chess until they lose a match. Like you'll be seeing like people on like on chess online. And it's like they'll have two wins, they'll have one loss, and all of a sudden they'll lead the tournament. It's like you just got to be able to handle like losses happen. You know, like losses, it happens, get over it, brush it off analyze that game see why you lost you know like not that i enjoy losing but i don't i don't learn anything when i win a game i feel like i i honestly don't learn anything when i win a game because even if i go back and analyze it it's like all right what am i analyzing because i'm going to just favorably look at all my good moves i'm going to just be like oh that's that's the right move you know like and then they just unfortunately made bad moves and i just capitalized on it. it's like all right i got beat why did i get beats and then how do i improve from that so I don't think that people put that kind of dedication in there. I just think people people think that there's a lot of like just natural talent and they either have it or they don't. And they don't realize that a lot of GMs that are GMs just grinded a hell of a hard, long time to get there. It's not like, like LeBron, Michael, all them natural athletes, right? But they wouldn't do that if they didn't grind the hell out of, the, out of their lives to get to that position. Same thing with like, Brian Shaw or any of those power lifters. So, yeah, naturally being 5'6 and being able to put on weight like crazy, or 6'6 six, six and be able to put on weight like crazy and muscle, that helps. But being diligent every single day, putting that time in, like, you know, like chess is very similar to working out in that if you're not doing it actively and consistently, you, you won't progress. And I think that's a bit, like it fluctuates for too many people because they'll put in, two months of hard work and they won't see any progress from it. And it's like, all right, I can put in two months of hard work at the gym and I'm not gonna see much, like I'm gonna only see minimal progress from it. But after two years, I'm gonna be like, oh wow, I'm a totally different person. I like, I was lifting, you know, I'm lifting hundred pounds more, you know, or whatever, you know, yeah. and it's, it's that just staying consistent. I think that's the difference between uh, people that have that genetics, uh, that could pack on muscle easily or whatever. The difference is between them being great or them being elite. And if, you know, Brian Shaw, who's big and built for strongman, was lazy, he would have never been a four-time world strongest man. Right. But since he did the grind every day, he became an elite athlete and was able to actually achieve that. But he never would have if he was that lazy and just right. like, well, I'm set up for it. I'll, I'll do it anyways. Yeah. Um, I know you can't do this live, but I think you can online play have you ever in a close match analyzed your opponent's play from their perspective on your play to see if you could have beat yourself from their position like during the match or post match like post analysis went back and was like i wonder if they could have beat me oh yeah five um, holes in your um, armor and that same thing uh yeah i mean i've done that here and there you know but not 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 as much you know what i mean because that's like it's because it's so much easier to analyze the hole in my army or what I lose, right? So, um, I mean, but during the during the match, I definitely try to think of like every single way that they're going to attack me. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not. It's I almost think about their moves more than my own moves because it's like, all right, I'm going to probably do this. So if I do this, that's easy because I'll find three good possibilities. But then it's all my time is all right. What are their options for that? And then which move puts me in the best light? So, okay. Can you explain how you use visual visualization in chess? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's very hard to think of combinations and what's going to happen uh, within each move if you can't visualize, like, if you can't visualize the board, like, with your eyes closed and just seeing, you know, like, and looking at, all right, if I go knight c3, he's going to go d4. And if he goes d4, I'm going to go f, f5, blah, 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 and hit out those repetitions and not being able to see things, then trying to look for variations in how you're going to win is it's simply not going to happen. Like if you cannot visualize the board moving and shifting, it's very hard to try to think ahead and think of what your opponents are going to do and to see how the board will look four, five, ten moves in the future, you know. So right. it, it is a, it's a tricky lesson to learn. And I mean, it, in simple ways, like even just playing like the once you know, because once you know notification, like, D4, E4, Knight, C3, once you understand like how all the pieces work and you play a lot of games, no carding games, like literally playing against a person who just texts you a move, E4, and then you just say, all right, E5, you know, and just try to play as far as you can before you need to put the board, like a position on the actual board, you know what I mean? That was something that a couple of my, like my friends, we would do to each other just so that way we could be like, all right, how many moves in can I go and know exactly where the board is by the end of like, by the end of wherever we get to. And typically we could get to about 18 to 25, depending on how the position would happen, so. Okay, well, that's cool, yeah. that is yeah. awesome. And then I also played blindfold against my nieces and nephews to make it fair, so. They actually put a blindfold on me, which is, which is different. There's a big difference for some reason looking at an empty board, like if I just have like my like chest, chest board laid out, and I'm gonna do like moves with like everybody's like, oh, I'm gonna go here. Like I can eventually just be like, all right, yeah, your bishop's there, and then I'll just do my moves. But like completely blindfolded, it's like, all right, now I have to like picture a board, and now I have to picture all the pieces on the board. So it, it, it gets pretty fun. So it's a good mental workout for sure. <laughs> it's a very stressful mental workout. Because <laughs> my family's uh, we're all trash talkers. So <laughs> even, even even if they beat me on that, they could be like, oh, I beat you in chess. I'm like, well, kinda. you kind of did. <laughs> I'm counting that as a win. <laughs> yeah, they do. They definitely, awesome. <laughs> definitely do. How do you feel after a long match? Uh, drained, completely drained. Um, I did the Chicago Open one time, and I mean, those are two five-hour games. So after 10 hours of just thinking and then knowing that you have a couple days afterwards, I mean, by the time I got home, I just fell asleep. I mean, I was just physically and mentally wiped out. Like, just, and I was like, I don't even know, like, by the time day three happened, I was like, how hell am I going to think about anything right now? Like, it was just so worn out, like, physically and mentally. Just, it, it's it's surprisingly taxing, which is why, like, they have, um, on a, some of the bigger, longer tournaments like those, you can actually opt out of a game and it'll count as a draw for your overall like scorecard. Um, and some people will do that just because they just need a mental break. They're like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just resign from this, like not resign, I'm just not, not gonna be in this match. And then it counts as a draw because you're not playing that round, just so that way they can have time to recuperate, so. And you get to choose during those matches uh, when you want to take a break. Can you take a break at any time, or how's that? Is work? Not at, not in the middle of a match. You'd have to tell like an arbiter or somebody like or whoever is officiating the the tournament beforehand, like when you would want to do it. Um, I think it's typically an hour before the match would start. Are you allowed to step away from the table at all? Like, oh yeah, you can walk away from your table. Uh, you can't have cell phones within playing halls. 
they're probably going to be changing that to like you can't have cell phones like you have to leave them in your car because cheating is such a like big thing nowadays um they even like try to limit like restroom visits from people and things of that nature so yeah which is why like a lot of people are like all right maybe someone was beating me like maybe someone was using a computer in chat uh, online versus not online but yeah yeah do you is it a common practice to strategize when you guys end up taking that draw? Is that like a big thing? And uh, everyone, everyone's different. You know, everyone's a lot different. I took mine on like uh, on the fourth day going in the morning. So that way I'd only had to play like uh, the last day. Uh, I think it was only a four day tournament. So I only had to play the very last match just because I knew I'd be like extremely exhausted. I was playing well already, but I was like, you know what? A draw is better than a loss. So I'm just going to take a draw going to the last match and try to get into like the top three or four positions. So that's, that's the only way I looked at it because like, I'd, I never would have thought it would be exhausting to sit for like five hours, but it's, I mean, it's the most grueling thing to try to like slowly, slowly get a better position on somebody who's just as good as you are or sometimes better. So, yeah. The only thing I can think of is uh, that's comparable what I've done is uh, like deep analysis and doctoral level studies trying to find, you know, uh, conclusions through just tons and tons of data. Right. Sitting there and analyzing it. Yeah, that's that's all chess. It's, it's analyzing a position on a count, countless, countless, countless times every single time, you know? And, you know, it's it's so many things. I mean, I don't know if you guys play chess here and there, but it's like anyone can defend one attack. So it's like if I put all my pieces and try to attack, one spot it's easy but it's like once you spread out the board and you're spreading it attacking in two different areas at the same time you can actually only defend one area where it's, it's much better to always be on the attacking side because you can only defend it's a lot harder to defend two sides you pretty much can't but it's also challenging to, to get to a position where you can attack both sides so it's slowly trying to like get into always get into those positions like not making one threat but having your move actually creating as many threats as possible it's like all right how do I maximize this one move to create as much complications onto my opponent as possible? Right. For some reason, that just reminded me of risk when you were talking about that and how long yeah. you could drag out a game of risk with <laughs> four guys that play so well. And it's like yeah. 15 hours later, you're still playing the same game. And it's like, shit, I've been, you know, I've been right. one continent, but I can't <laughs> get out of it because I keep getting hit from both sides. Yeah. I've had Australia here for the last three hours giving yeah. me two guys every turn, you know? So, yeah. That's awesome. It is. Uh, is there a mental recovery process you use after a long match or tournament? No, I mean, I was just kind of like, I would just say after like a strong workout, just take like the next couple of days off. You know what I mean? Like just not play for a couple of days. Just allow yourself to just unwind unwind from it because it is it is exhausting you just have to like relax do something completely different you know what i mean so and along with that is there any physical recovery process that you do after a big tournament um i mean i'll like i would go for i would still go for like runs or something something like that you know what i mean i would still try to just it, it it's like a weird exhaustive feeling because you're just trying to like shake off like how just taxed your mind is so like even just going for a run going through a hike through the woods stuff like that it's just like all right like it's not thinking turn this thing off for a few hours and just you know just allow it to just calm down a little bit right. so yeah
I mean, even after, so like within my own workout routine, so on the days before and after, I, like I meet my trainer, we have, I, and uh, like on Thursdays I do squat, you know, bench, and then deadlift just in order to get prepared to like how, how matches are and stuff like that. So the day before and the day after I just rest. And it's something a little bit similar to like, you know, just playing jazz. It's like, all right, that was completely exhausting. Like, I don't even want to think about a chessboard. Like, I don't even want to like think about putting that energy into that right now. Right. Do you pay attention to Carlson and has he impacted the way you play the game? Uh, I do pay attention to all the top GM plays, and no, they're so much better than me that uh, they're. <laughs> it's sadly like, uh, like, I mean, I might steal some of their opening ideas. Like that would be like the only thing because like, there's a couple opening ideas that they've done. They're like, I know that's actually not a bad way to like get into that position. Uh, but outside of that, like their middle game, their understand, like their overall understanding of the game of chess makes me feel like I don't even know how to play the game. So it's it's very weird because I'm not. Like, I'm not a title player, but I'm not bad. Like, I'm right on 1,800, like, 18, 1,900 level player. And, like, I would be beat the most average, above average chess players out there. But then, like, they would make me feel like I don't know how to play the game of chess. Like, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, like, how much better they are. Right, right. It's not even like he could beat me blindfold. It's that he could beat, like, me and then 30 people who have a, have titled positions like IMs, GMs, blindfolded at the same time and beat us all. I must think that if they're blindfolded, <laughs> it doesn't change their game. It, do, it doesn't. They see it so much that it's like, I don't need to even see the board to be able to play mm -hmm. it, I just know. They absolutely don't, like it doesn't even matter to them. So I, uh, I uh, in when I got, mm -hmm. when I started to actually grow in strength, I had a, a group of people who were all a lot better than me. Um, one of them was, um, and I am then ended up being a GM while we were still friends. And then the other two were just extremely strong players. And I did beat the GM one time. So I can say I beat the GM and I beat a grandmaster once in my life. But like when he would really try like the the next, like the very next game, because like he was kind of trash talking, but it was still like an even three minute, three minute game. And I beat him and I was like, dude, you're never going to hear the end of it now. Like I, I just beat you, you know, like that never happens. And so then he's like, all right, I'm just going to do like, I'm just going to move stupid pawns for the next 10 moves and I'm going to beat you for the next 10 games in a row. He just would just do 10 random moves and then he would beat me every single time the next, all those things. It's like, and his moves didn't even make sense. It wasn't like he was like slowly preparing. It was like, and I'm just going to like move my night out and move it back, move this night out, move it back. And I'm like, and, and I still can't beat you. And I still can't beat you. <laughs> it was so annoying. So you want to make my next five moves? And then I'll yeah, I know. I was like, oh gosh, I'll, I'm like, I can make you check. I can checkmate you if I get to pick your moves, but that's about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> can you describe how the skills you have gained in chess have benefited your life outside of the game um yeah so just overall in like life situations not panicking like when you know hard things come i think chess is a big proponent of that just getting yourself used to hard situations hard mental situations and being able to know that all right let me just think about it. there is a way out of this like whatever it might be like at least life practically that has happened and at least going into now um, fitness, knowing that you know it isn't just like chess was in an instant. Oh, I got really good, like that. You know, it's like the same thing with like lifting. It's like all right, like 
though I might not be strong in a couple of years, I will probably be strong. It's just like knowing that just due to how chess life happened and those principles. But I think a lot of the big things, handling losses, because you get a lot of those playing chess, handling losses and how you just um, see, take that, knowing that no matter how much you know about something, there's always so much more you can learn about anything. So like you can think you know a subject, but there's so much more about any subject that you can learn that can, and like, I spent the last 15 years playing chess and I'm just an above average player. You know what I mean? And it's just so much more I can learn. That's another thing I just love about it. It's just so much more I can constantly learn. It's the, both the pro and the con about it. Because you put so much, so many more years, I might not, that doesn't guarantee I'm gonna get any better. You know what I mean? That's like the one difference between like working out and chess. Just because you put the time into it, unfortunately doesn't mean you're just gonna get better. Like sometimes there's like just mental blocks that are just very hard things to just, some brains just can't seem to like get past a certain level. We're working out. I mean, as long as you continue working out, you're just going to get most of the time. You're just going to get stronger and stronger. And to pick up a heavier weight, you either gain more weight or take a supplement, and then you can lift more weight. But most of the time, it's just you just gain more weight and learn a way to lift that up. And just like that's why, like, there's like that top bracket, and then there's like GMs who are like way below them. It's like there's a, this huge mental like wall that you you'll finally like, get yourself to. It's like no matter how much you try, you just it's like you don't even you, your brain can't comprehend how to get to that level right so what advice do you have for someone who wants to get into chess and where should they start um start playing online games start playing five ten or 15 minute games um just easy thing to do look up like um go to go to any like there's a lot of different online like sites like um chessgames.com, stuff like that, and look at different openings, see what the openings look like at 10, 15 moves in, and see if that looks like something that you would want to play at that color or even play out some of those games. To so see just what, because you'll know what you visually like and be like, oh, you know what, I think I can play from that position. You know what I mean? Like, it'll just feel, might look natural to people. Um, so that way you can just learn some openings really fast, because I think early on, Learn openings. <laughs> I even though I'd say don't do that. It's just like very minimal though. So it's very minimal. Always have your pieces defended. Don't just move a piece in the middle of the board undefended because yeah. odds are the opponent has a piece aimed right, right in that spot, you know? Um, like easy rule of thumb, don't ever put a free piece anywhere on the board because it's probably gonna be a free piece. So, I mean, that's an easy rule and learn how to check me because you're not going to win a game if you can't finish a game off. Like I, I was talking to this to my sister the other day and she's after watching the Queen's Gambit, she wants to get into chess. And um, so I play with her quite a few times and try to show her how to play the game and she's okay, but she has no idea like the concept and how to actually end the game. So I'm like, you, you literally have to learn how to end a game. So that's a very big thing to, like for beginners, like learn how simple checkmate patterns, learn how to checkmate a king between like using like two rooks, queen and a rook, a queen, just a rook and a king. So like learn how to finish a game off. So that way you'll enjoy playing because everyone wants to win. So you learn how to finish a game off, you know, it'll be better. I've seen that in boxing a lot between some good fighters and great fighters. You see somebody hurt their opponent and they don't know what to do almost. And it's like, yeah. what are you doing finishing? And yeah. Some of the guys that are just, 
phenomenal at being able to finish an opponent so quick that if you get hurt, it's over. Right. Well, that old Spence would have got beaten that way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sure could have. <laughs> but he, he didn't have an opponent that knew how to finish. But if that was Bud Crawford that hurt him, yeah, he's in trouble because Bud knows how to finish. Uh, tell us about your interest in the grip sport. Um. Yeah, I mean, definitely heard about Oregon's strongest hands. Looked up even more of that stuff, like King Kong grip. Yeah, looking into get getting some good. of those. Looking into getting some like uh, looking to see what like lists of things that the like like that are in the event. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna buy all those those things that way I can work on competing in those events. And um, I don't know, I just enjoy. I've always enjoyed like grip work. Like my dad had like the strongest handshake in the world that I've ever felt still to this day. It felt like an iron vice. And I was just like, that's just cool to me. You know what I mean? Like it, it might not be everyone. Like I don't, I know grip sport is a super minority within a minority thing that is, is, is like power lifting or lifting in general. It's like the smallest, one of the smallest things. And then grip work, it's like the smallest within that group. So, <laughs> yeah. So like, I feel like it's a small community and like you can know the best person in the world and it's good and know like a brand new beginner. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, look at that. We all like, it's awesome. yeah. yeah, yeah. We're all, we're all doing the exact same thing. Like, it's funny. It's like, huh, all right. Well, actually there isn't a lot of different techniques. Like there's a lot of like small things to learn about the sport and how to grip each thing and like how to put the cantilever so that way it actually pinches both the the bar weight itself and uh, the device you're using. So that way, like, there isn't as much jerk. So there's like learning all those hacks, but um, I don't know, just, I just enjoy having a very strong grip. Yeah, I think yeah. coming from a, an occupational grip background, you'll find that a lot of the training that a lot of the guys that come from occupational grip backgrounds perform doesn't actually match the events that you do in grip sports. Um, right. They train a whole lot of transferable skills with their hands then they go into grip sport and actually do really well. Right. Because so the, the one that I think would be hard is like the, the, like the one that's like a ball grab. Like it's like a, like a weighted, like it's like a half ball or whatever it is. You know what I mean? I'm just thinking to myself, like trying to grab something that's round and lifting with that. That's a lot of like thumb pinch pressure and a lot of that. I was like, all right, that, that would be, that'd be tricky right there. Yeah, we just made some concrete blocks yeah. to try to... Uh, <laughs> To get a rounder shape with our pinch objects. Also, a lot how, of how did you, how did you guys make the uh, the round part about it though? I saw the I saw the blob, but how did what like what model or what? Uh... We used two PVC caps. Oh, that's a great idea. That's actually a really good idea. Oh, nice. Then do you just fill that with sand or something? No. See, this is yeah. We filled well it's concrete, so we filled the PVC okay. caps with concrete and cut a hole in it after they were put together. And then we drilled a hole through this piece of pipe and ran uh, anchor through it and then shoved the pipe in so that we can actually load the weight and still do curls or do presses or whatever. And the weight stays up against the blob. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. it's one of our favorite not, DIY ones. When you look at all the events in like King Kong and Oregon Strongest Hands, we have a, a ton of DIY stuff on our Instagram. I it's see that. I see that. Uh, and I'm like, oh, man. Sport is extremely expensive because they make so few of them because the community is so small. That we right. have basically built everything that you need yourself for okay. a fraction of the cost. Yeah, there's so, no mass production savings in grip. You know, you're gonna pay no. raw material plus labor plus everything they put into it. Yep, so, pretty. Yeah. That's it's pretty much it. Like I go to all the sites, and it's that's why it, no, it doesn't matter. Like whatever one you might go to, it's relatively all that. Like a loading pin is going to be the same price. 
yeah, the wrist wrench is going to be the exact same yeah. price, roughly like five or ten dollar difference. You know, so it's like, but it's all like you're saying, man, this doesn't seem like it's worth seventy bucks. You know what I mean? Or ninety yeah. bucks. I think you're actually getting into it a better time for saving money though, because over the past like twenty years, people have kind of figured out what's most important in grip sport. It turns out it's mostly fat bar and pinch. So you'll see tons of axle and pinch work, and those seem to transfer over into a lot of the other things as well. But I mean. 15, 20 years ago, people were wasting $1,000 buying 30 different grippers, not knowing that that wasn't doing hardly anything for them. Right. So, so do the grippers themselves not do a ton? Grippers make you really good at grippers, but there's other crush exercises that you can do for, for really cheap, honestly, right. that you can just load weight and mm -hmm. get all the variables in between, a, you know, 20 different grippers. So right. It's necessary. You roll up a carpet. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the people do. <laughs> yeah. Work. yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. So, yeah, I think uh, some of your guys like that. Um, I think I emailed you like the uh, the one that's uh, the two-handed lift. That one looked uh, really nice. You guys made the do-it-yourself. So I know that you guys have made a lot of those and put a lot of those on there that I was like, ah, oh, this upcoming summer, I might have to do quite a bit of those because, like I said, with my shop, I'm going to try to make the arm wrestling board. And then there's a lot of those that I was looking into. The more and more I take it seriously, the more and more it's like, all right, I don't need to spend that much money if I can just. Yeah, I've been wanting to connect with somebody that knows welding yeah. because, uh, I mean, you know, I'm making all this stuff without any welding experience at all. It's all out of wood and concrete. Right. Um, if I knew how to do some welding, imagine what we could come up with. Right. Right. So, yeah. you guys probably make a lot of good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely have to have you over too when uh, things calm down and we, we can uh, open our gym back up and stuff. So. Oh, absolutely. It's kicking around so much because we're sitting on Atlas stones. <laughs> of and course you guys are most yeah. of our interviews have only lasted about 20 minutes and now we realize that like a 40 minute interview an hour-long interview uh, your legs are getting a little cramped over there yeah are those uh some make it yourself atlas stones or did yeah, you guys gonna... really yeah. absolutely we're actually uh we gave one away uh, not too long ago for uh when we got to 100 subscribers and we'll be getting into atlas stones coming year wow and stuff yeah yeah what kind of, what'd you use? Like a uh, dumpster or something to hold uh, all no, the concrete? Molds. Uh, we used a wheelbarrow and you make the, you have the molds and you just pop them on top of a five gallon bucket. And then you just build it around a five gallon bucket will support a 300 pound atlas stone, no problem. Wow. That's a good idea. I know I saw, saw a lot of people making um, like uh, their, their barbell weights out of um, concrete. Like yeah. they at least have 25, 45, 100 pounders. And like, wow, that's actually, not a bad idea, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if you have an inside gym, so. Yep, and they have some great crack-resistant concrete that uh, it holds up pretty well. Right, I don't know if I would be doing it with deadlift, but at least everything else, it's like, you know, squatting and bench pressing, no problem. You know? Absolutely, yep. So, uh, anything else, guys? Yeah, we were just gonna ask you anything you wanted to plug or say before we uh, end this meeting? Um, No, I mean, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been great. I'll do a, I definitely wanna do a video of my first attempt at the, uh, at the uh, golden potato today. I'll, I'll oh, probably be posting that. that later on. Uh, it'll be fun. I was definitely trying to like learn how to like, all right, how do, how do I, where do I actually wedge my hand for the best grip? I was messing around with it the other day. That's and what um, I like about it most is it's almost like a natural rock. You have to figure it out a little bit. Right, each one is probably a little bit, like both the ones that were in there were both a little bit different. It's like, all right, how do I like, at first I was like, all right, I can wrap my hand around there and get underneath. And they're like, all right, you're not allowed to do that. I was like, oh. <laughs> Okay, well, dang it. All right. I can't do that part then. 
Because <laughs> I'm like, I can, I can definitely lift a lot if I can get my fingertips involved, you know. Yeah, the deadlift, you get to put your fingertips up to the guard and lift, so. Oh, okay. And okay. you would think you could lift a whole lot more weight with that one than you could not touching the bottom. Nope, you can't. It's that weird really? folded potato lift. Yeah, the weird it's one. Weird. Potato. <laughs> it's weird. It's this lift. This lift here that Mike's got 200 pounds on, he was only able to do like 160, actually putting his finger what? on deadlifting like this. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's because the you don't get much out of that fingertip. You really well, don't. You know? Wow. It's just yeah. It's off and it's brutal because to actually do it, you know, you can't. You can't. Right. No, no, no. You had like those. Yeah. It'll bend wrong, so you actually have to use the tips of your fingers, like a, like you're doing. Okay. Some kind okay. of a climbing type of drill. And then it becomes much harder when you're using the tips of your fingers. We actually have an evil fingerboard we use for that. Yeah, what's uh, what, what's the average weight well, for the, one of those bad boys? Evil oh, fingerboard. Nice. What's the average weight for what? A golden potato? Yeah, the, about two pounds. No, 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 no. Like off the ground. Like what? what oh. is – what should I start at so that way I don't feel a – On a deadlift? No, on the, uh, the pinch lift. On the pinch lift? I'd say start with 45 pounds. Yeah, put a 45 pound, put a 45 pound on that stuff and work up from there. Yeah, Sounds good. I got to I gotta make sure I don't put an embarrassing number up, you know what I mean? So. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, reach Mike, but I'm about 20 pounds off of his. His numbers are pretty It's ridiculous. Well, that's, like well yeah, he, his, uh, his grip strength is on a totally different level. Like, I remember, like, he, like, brought all this stuff into the job site one day, and he had, like, from one side of the room to the other of just different grippers. And I'm like, all right, let me try this one in the middle. He's like, all right, that's like a, a three. I'm like, yeah, that ain't happening. He's like, oh, he just took it. He's like, yeah, it's not that bad. I'm like, all right, Mike. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the crazy thing is he hasn't even been involved in grip all that long. You know, he came from a strong man and powerlifting background and only got into it just recently. And Right. Yeah, he's monstering up the ranks. He's, he's definitely monstering up the ranks. I know I'm trying to do um, – some axle bar um, deadlift just to get that, just to get the whole like overall hand grip strength. So, yeah. That has gorilla hands too. It's not fair. Uh, the dude has massive hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then uh, other than that, not much. I mean, I just enjoy your guys' like channel a lot. Uh, where do I find you guys on podcasts? That's one thing I was looking for. Um, we actually don't have anything on podcast yet. We've been doing everything on YouTube and Instagram and just uh, we have a website, calcatotostrong.com, where we have our record. Okay. So um, just everything, we've been doing it like that. Uh, we may eventually move to podcast as we start doing more of these uh, online longer meetings. Okay, cool. Yeah. Great news because I was like looking to see where like past videos have been and I wasn't able to like. Yeah, all our past interviews are up on YouTube. Okay. Uh, so we have a YouTube channel. It's uh, linked if you go to couchpotatostrong.com and you click our yeah. top page. There's a link on the side to all our social media stuff. So Nice. Yeah, right, cool. We'll have a bunch more YouTube videos pretty soon. And it has all our stories about how the stones came about, how the golden potato came about. Okay, because I was wondering about them. Like, why is Idaho on there? So yeah, there's, a, there's a mythical story surrounding the golden potato on the website. They, pretty cool. they okay. actually grow in our garden. They so. grow in a magical garden outside our house, you know. Nice. It's funny because... I don't know what like what show we were watching. Oh yeah, you received the story with your set of potatoes, obviously. Yeah, uh, but we uh, it, it talked about the idea of a golden potato. It might have been Shit's Creek. Like we were watching this, me and my wife, and it talked about like a golden potato or something. And they're like, "Oh, who the hell ever seen a golden potato?" Like the next day, like 
like the box shows up. I, I open it up and I hold out like a golden potato. My wife's like, what the hell is this? How do you have one? The very next day, I'm like, that's very good timing. That's a very good Whoa. timing, you know? So I don't have to check out that episode now. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I got to see which one it was, but it was just kind of like, just hilarious. Like, like, who's ever seen one? I'm like, well, there's one right here. Yeah, yeah, got one delivered in the mail the very next day. So it was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, I'll, uh, that's about all I got. Awesome, awesome. We'll have fun with that. And uh, we look forward to seeing your golden potato list. Yeah, perfect. Thank you guys. And then I can't wait to uh, maybe come out there this upcoming summer or something on one of your lifts. Yeah, that would be yeah. awesome. We're gonna be opening up I think one of the ones that I enjoyed seeing was your guys' version of the uh, the strongman, where you even had like the uh, the holds like that. Yeah. Uh, I was like, wow, that looks fun and brutal. All the same. We have a Hercules holds where we can use uh, all of our different uh, no-hang implements for it. So you can okay. hook up, yeah, you can hook up anything you want to. You can hook horns, potatoes, ball yeah, grips, whatever you want to hook up to it. Grandfather. Did you guys make a do-it-yourself horn? Yep, yes. sure did. Really? Yes. What did you make that out of? A cup. A cup. It's a drinking cup. And you just put concrete in it, huh? Yes. yes. Well, we used um, you use a WD-40 silicone spray, so yeah. which is a release. And then you just fill it with concrete and put an eye bolt in it. And yeah. slide it out. It's a horn. And it works great. Wow. That is a great idea. Then, uh, then we got a little horn. Got a little horn here as well. This is a top of a hot sauce bottle. Um, and the plastic is still there, so we wanted this one to be smoother. Okay. You can see it's kind of yeah, got yeah. grooves to it and stuff. Yeah, right. That, that's our small horn. So we got, yeah, big horn and small horn. Just wow. concrete. And uh, we find the metallic paint. The reason we paint everything gold is because the color paint is kind of rubbery. Right. So it's weird. It doesn't feel right. The metallic paint, you keep a surface very similar to uh, the concrete. Okay. Yeah. Um, which Which – instrument do you guys think that you is your best for lifting and then which one's your worst for grip for grip uh, penny pinch is probably <laughs> the worst thing ever i'm good at the penny pinch which is uh, kind of a pinch like this yeah this i don't i don't understand it's ridiculous <laughs> i think you know, beat everybody that comes over even like pretty decent grip guys with this weird little tiny thing okay you just yeah like this and just pinch really hard like this and go okay and uh, this guy's dominating me on the fat bar. He's doing 280 pounds, and I'm only doing like 240, so he's really pretty good at that. Wow. And two-hand pinch, he's, he's pretty good at. I'm good at the grippers, though. Um, right. Like, he can do a 120-pound gripper, and I can do almost 140. Wow. Grippers don't, you know, transfer well. I'm also really good at bending. Adam can't do the yellow nail. I can cut a yellow nail in half and bend it no problem. I also think right. the hub lift again is like kind of from the flask. Yeah. The uh, flask is what I saw you guys make. I like that one a lot. One of my, two of my favorite. I really like the hub too. I'm getting pretty good at the hub. Nice. Cool. You guys have like all, did the, um, I see them in the back. Did the baseball ones and softball turn out well? Yep. Yes. Did, did those correlate to being pretty good? Yeah. 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 So baseball. Yeah. So yeah, we just, uh, it's just a washer through the bottom and one of these types of caps. How'd you, uh, how'd you drill that through there without ripping up the baseball? It doesn't. It doesn't rip up the baseball. Wow. I would have thought it would have, I would have thought it tore it up. Nope. You just drill it through. It's mostly that cork inside. So. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, you, we've lifted probably a couple hundred pounds of this and it hasn't messed up the ball. So. That's crazy. Yeah. Hurts your hand though, but. I gotta say that one's gotta hurt like a lot. Yeah, it definitely does. It really hurts when you do Hercules hold with it too. Come on. It can't be fun. 
Yeah, our hearts are made out of a Pringles can. Yeah, yeah made out of a made Pringles can. Oh, really? It's the bottom of a Pringles can. Wow. You guys can just think about using concrete. What do you use for the rim? That's the um, the bottom of a stack of uh, blank compact discs. Okay. The bottom, a thicker plastic piece. Yeah, you guys are like innovation gold. here is like through the roof, man. Yeah, so. You guys are like MacGyver for gift for uh, grip string stuff. That's what I'm saying, if I could get some welding skills, imagine what we could create. I'll probably be stuck yeah. in the lab all the time. Right? I'll never be good at grip anymore. Like, <laughs> Just making stuff constantly. Just making tools for people. There you <laughs> go. Start, start up your own business right there. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, perfect, guys. And we'll, we'll do a big opening thing, too, that we'll do the barbecue and invite a bunch of athletes over and that was so much fun last time we had it and every okay. record got broken it was nuts it, was, it, it, it cool. looked crazy it looked crazy it was awesome so, yeah we usually run um we usually keep the garage open from may through uh the, well may through november and then we do november yeah. through may yeah like six months on six months off so okay. we should be opening back up in may all right what does it mean by garage is open it means that we invite athletes to come over to work out all the time oh nice cool yeah exactly well, that would be the, fun. The other time of the year, most of our stuff is outside. It's mostly strongman stuff. But you want it to be sunny and decent out to be able to do 90% of what we do. So right. We wait until that time of year. That we don't have a heated garage, so it's actually cold as heck out here, too, when we're working out. So. <laughs> okay. There you go. Makes sense. So, cool. Well, thank you guys for letting me on the show. Can't wait to do grip work with you guys. It's going to be fun. Sounds great. All right. It'll be great. Take care and have a good day. Yeah. You too. Have yep. Bye.